Welcome to the Equine Veterinary Education Podcasts. Hello, and welcome to the Equine Veterinary Education Podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Halliwell, and today we will be speaking to Kate Looms about her paper reporting the use of hyacinth N beetle bromide, known to most of us as buscapan, to treat intraoperative bradycardia during isoflurane anesthesia in three horses. Hi, Kate, thanks for joining us. Hi there. Now, this study reports three cases in which the use of hyacinth N-butyl bromide, or buscopan, was used successfully to treat intraoperative bradycardia and hypertension. Can you briefly explain the rationale behind the use of buscopan for this purpose? Okay, so we already know that buscopan is a belladonna alkaloid with a quaternary ammonium structure chemically related to atropine. We also know it's able to reverse vaguely mediated bradycardia without causing prolonged reduction in gastrointestinal motility. The the evidence so far has related to standing sedated horses where metdetomidine or detomidine or more recently remifidine induced bradycardia has been reversible using buscopan. Traditionally, though, in the event of symptomatic bradycardia under anaesthesia, so the bradycardia which is seen in combination with hypotension or other signs of inadequate tissue perfusion, is treated with an anticholinergic agent, such as glycopyrrolate or atropine. But we know that the gastrointestinal side effects of these agents can be significant in horses due to the serious consequences of gastrointestinal ileus and colic in horses. But in contrast, buscopan has a relatively shorter effect on gastrointestinal function And this is why it's been licensed as a spasmolytic agent for horses with spasmodic colic. So really, the rationale for the use of buscopan in this setting would be the positive chronotropic effect, whilst minimising the the potential gastrointestinal side effects that we might see in horses. Right, that's interesting. So the key thing is that the buscopan is shorter acting then, really. Yes, and has less profound effects, as far as we know anyway, has less profound effects on gastrointestinal function compared to both glycopyrrolate and atropine. Right, yeah, that's interesting. Um, So all the horses were kept on an end-tidal isoflurane concentration that was well below the MAC. So why do you think intraoperative bradycardia developed in these cases? I think it's likely that the bradycardia in two of the cases was alpha-2 mediated, So all of the alpha-2 agonists that we use have the potential to cause bradycardia, and it's mediated really via two main mechanisms. There are pre- and postsynaptic activation of alpha-2 adrenoreceptors, and that's why really we often see a biphasic effect on blood pressure. So immediately after IV administration of an alpha-2 agonist, there is peripheral vasoconstriction, And that almost immediately results in the activation of baroreceptors in the aortic arch and carotid sinus, which result in an increase in afferent firing via via the vagus and glossopharyngeal nerves. This then leads on to an inhibition in sympathetic activity and stimulation of the cardioinhibitory centre, which causes a reduction in heart rate, known as the baroreceptor reflex. There's also a second mechanism mediated via presynaptic alpha-2 receptors, which causes a centrally mediated bradycardia. So when you see horses such as fit thoroughbred racehorses, they often demonstrate an AV block after administration of an alpha-2 agonist. And out of the six horses that I've seen with symptomatic bradycardia under general anaesthesia, occurring out of 1,200 horses anaesthetized over the same time period, 
five of the six horses were thoroughbred racehorses. But while we think about the number of racehorses in the 1200, there may have been 400, so prevalence is still fairly low. In the first case, though, the AV block was pre-existing. So this horse wasn't a fit thoroughbred. He was a warm blood. And the existence probably of that um, second degree AV block was probably likely to have contributed to the development during general anaesthesia. Mm. The entide lysofluorine concentration around 1 or 1.1 to 1.2% delivered to the horse is fairly common, I suppose, for, for lots of uh, cases and times in the hospital. And, and my rationale or for further trying to minimise the delivered isoflurane was to try and ensure that this wasn't having an impact on blood pressure. Because while the horses were bradycardic, which sometimes is not an issue in itself, they were all hypotensive. So trying to minimise the isoflurane was done really to try and minimise the impact on blood pressure. Um, the the horse that had a particular, for some reason, had a different etiology of the bradycardia, the warm blood horse, may well have just have had an unusually high resting vagal tone. And despite he had follow-up exercising ECG and echocardiography and no pathology was ever found, but it was often noted that he exhibited an mm. AV block unrelated to the administration of any, any medication. Mm. Um, so he was a little bit unusual. And in the vast majority of cases, I think, when you see a second degree AV block or you see bradycardia under general anaesthesia, it is often related to the alpha 2 agonist administration. And in many cases, it goes away on its own. But I would say fit athletic thoroughbred racehorses tend to be overrepresented in those horses affected. Mm. So is it your opinion then that cases which have a pre-existing AV block, do you think they're more likely to then develop bradycardia and anaesthesia? Possibly, because I think it just never goes away. I think the block just, when the horse is, when general anaesthesia is induced and the horse is hoisted and placed mm-hmm. on the operating table, a, a large proportion of, of horses that which had um, AV block after administration of an alpha-2 agonist the block may well have gone away, whereas a proportion of them mm-hmm. remain. And in the cases that I saw, they then worryingly became worse and more mm. symptomatic. So the blood pressure initially was manageable, and then they those horses that I elected to treat became hypotensive. Mm. So something to be aware of then, if we're anaesthetizing horses which have had a pre-existing AV block identified on the pre-anesthetic exam. Um, one point I'd like to pick up on that you made earlier um, was so one of your cases used xylazine as the alpha-2 for pre- for a pre-med, um, whereas the other two cases used remifidine. Do you think there's a case then for recommending a shorter-acting alpha-2, like xylazine, to reduce the risk of bradycardia? Do you think that makes a, makes a difference? Possibly, possibly that would make a difference to the duration of, of the AV block if that developed. Mm. So um, the alpha-2, the, the thing to remember between xylazine and remifidine or xylazine and most other alpha-2 agonists is they have a different alpha-2, alpha-1 selectivity ratio. So, so this basically means how much of an effect on alpha-1 re- receptors, which you don't really want because they don't contribute to sedation, that drug has. So xylazine has a ratio of 160 to 1, while remifidine has a ratio of 340 to 1. So it's twice as selective for alpha 2 compared to alpha 1. So it may be that while xylazine is short acting, 
it causes intense vasoconstriction. And so you will still, or maybe more likely, to see a second degree AV block. However, it, it's also known that the shorter duration may mean the, the second degree AV block goes away more quickly. The, the duration is, is fairly different. So 15, 15, 20 minutes probably for xylazine and more, more close to 80 minutes probably for remifidine. Um, interestingly, though, um, some years ago, uh, um, Laurie Bidwell and, and colleagues reported some findings relating to horses, which particularly thoroughbred horses, which developed um, uh, fairly severe second degree AV blocks during general anaesthesia. And, and she described that the deaths of, of most concern were the unexplained cardiac arrests under anaesthesia in young horses that were assessed as healthy prior to anaesthesia. Elevated vagal tone in that report was the suggested reason for the higher risk of, of developing these arrhythmias. But it was interesting to read that in that report, in that population, the chosen pre-medication agent was xylazine. And they, the study goes on to suggest that in order to minimise the alpha-2 effects in this protocol, if a second-degree AV block of greater than one in four contractions was present, then they, they delayed induction until no more than one of four contractions was affected. So I think you will, you will still see an AV block regardless of the alpha-2 agonist that you use, but it may be correct that the duration of effect is shorter. But then, of course, if the duration of the effect for, from your, um, the kind of adverse effects of alpha-2 agonist is shorter, then the good effects like the analgesia and sedation that you that are favourable for anaesthetised horses are also shorter. So in the, in, within 15, 20 minutes of that horse being anaesthetised, then if the xylazine-related analgesia has also gone. Okay, interesting. That's something to bear in mind. Um, and in each case, the use of a pros- positive inotrope, so dibutamine, um, was attempted first to correct the bradycardia and low mean arterial pressure um, before buscopan was used. Um, is this still something you would reach for first um, before buscopan, following the successful results in this in this study? Um it's a good question. I suppose at that time, because I I, I was fairly inexperienced, inexperienced with the use of buscopan, I dobutamine. I used dobutamine just to try and maintain the mean arterial pressure, hoping that the bradycardia would disappear. However, really, the predominant effect of of dobutamine is mediated via beta one receptors, increasing the force of contraction. So actually, it can actually worsen the bradycardia due to eliciting the baroreceptor reflex. So potentially I made things worse because if I try to in, improve blood pressure, then you, you, may make, um, you may make the bradycardia even worse. At much higher infusion rates, some of the beta-2 effects are seen um, with dobutamine, such as pos- positive chronotropic effects. But these rates are, are really quite high and we often don't reach those in horses. Um, and I would certainly say that the concurrent use of hyacine or buscopan or atropine or glycopyrrolate, any anticholinergic agent alongside dobutamine is contraindicated because of the pro-arrhythmic effects. So um, as I saw in those horses I treated with the buscopan, you get such an elevation in heart rate and and an elevation in mean arterial pressure 
that the addition, the additional administration of dobutamine is contraindicated. So I stopped the dobutamine prior to administering buscopan. But it's it's important to remember to do that because if you see the the elevations in mean arterial pressure in relation to correcting the the bradycardia or making the horse temporarily tachycardic, then the elevations in mean arterial pressure are, are quite high. Mm. Right. Um, and so following this study, um, where the use of buscopan in this instance was so seemed to be so successful, uh, which cases then would you still reach for atropine or glycopyrrolate? Or do you think you found a good enough replacement? Um, I think I... I suppose the investigation really into the use of buscopan in this setting is still very much in its infancy. The use of atropine or glycopyrrolate is still indicated in the treatment of severe or symptomatic bradycardia, particularly in the emergency case. Um, I would certainly use atropine or glycopyrrolate in the event of severe bradycardia or one to me that felt unexplained. Um, or one that, that was unresponsive to buscopan, if I had tried buscopan and had no effect, and I felt things were getting worse. I suppose really to answer the question, a randomised controlled clinical trial is warranted to further investigate the, the efficacy and safety of buscopan in this setting. But I have so few, I've seen so few horses affected with sym- symptomatic bradycardia. I've had six in over the period of about two and a half years. So it would take me a, a long time and um, perhaps a multi-centre study might help or an experimental study just to further investigate um, its use, really, before it could be recommended for every case. Mm-hmm. OK, that's great. And just in conclusion, then, do you have a take home message? Um, I would say I suppose the main things that I learned from these cases is really um, to try and consider that since we know that heart rate is a major determinant of cardiac output, it's recommended, it's already recommended that intraoperative bradycardia associated with hypotension or other poor signs of tissue perfusion is treated with an anticholinergic agent. And I think trying to make the assessment that the degree of bradycardia is having a detrimental effect on tissue perfusion and mean arterial pressure was was an important step in in me making kind of my decisions to treat the horses promptly. Um, the I'd, I'd also suggest, I suppose, another lesson that I learnt was um, when the reversal of a vaguely mediated bradycardia is indicated in healthy anaesthetised horses, that I could consider hyacin or buscopan um, to be an alternative to atropine. Um, or glycopyrrolate um, as 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 that agent, but I but it's important to reiterate really that atropine and glycopyrrolate remain valuable in the emergency reversal of profound bradycardia, while the investigation into the effects of of hyacin or buscopan in this particular setting are still still in in their infancy. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you, Kate, for discussing that really interesting paper. Um, And thank you all for listening. We hope you'll join us for the next edition of the EVE podcast. Thank you for listening to this Equine Veterinary Education podcast. More on the subjects discussed in this podcast can be found online at wileyonlinelibrary.com forward slash journal forward slash EVE.